This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. This is Season 4, Episode 2, and today we're going to talk about trying to help people, a.k.a. helpiness, in our best Stephen Colbert impression. We are helping, and so can... No, that was a different book. Sorry. That's that's a different time, but he's... <laughs> same concept. Uh... We're interested in foreign benevolence. So America is big with many people and lots of money. And so there is a certain number of asks that people give to America every year, like, hey, could you help us out? And then there's a certain level where America looks in on people and says, hey, I think we should help out with that. (laughs) And at a basic level, we're interested in what that means for giant entities like America, as well as individuals like me and Chris and you and <laughs> your your friends. Like, what does it mean to be benevolent globally when there's so many ways that this can go wrong? And it's just a really complicated thing. Like, who do I help? Even if we get everything right, there are a lot of people in the world and a lot of them look like maybe they could use some help. So... Mm. There are lots of big problems here, and we get here by way of last week's discussion about Facebook and Internet.org and the question of whether they're really helping or whether they might be hurting, and not least, the question of whether well-intended Westerners ought to be doing some of the well-intended things that we Westerners well-intendedly do. And what's interesting is that last episode we were talking about, is this company well-intended actually? (laughs) So we were delving into whether or not we could trust the claims of benevolence or whether they were just business claims and what that meant. But this time we're asking, okay, grant the benevolence. Assume that Facebook or America or Stephen or whomever really is benevolent. What do we do? Maybe the thing we're trying to do still isn't good. Right. Maybe the thing we're trying to do is good, but we're we're doing it the wrong way. How do, how do we tackle that side of the coin? And so to start with, we have to point out, as we did in the last episode, When Helping Hurts, which is the seminal book on this topic that says, hey, man, maybe dumping a big pile of money in the middle of a country isn't really the best <laughs> way to do things. Maybe you should try to talk to some people and figure out what they should be dispersing the money to. And then there are a lot of other benevolent slash – well, there are a lot of benevolent things that didn't exactly go the way that we thought they would. (laughs) Here, have a large loan to start a large – oh, you – that didn't – How about a smaller loan? Oh, to a smaller person. How about a really, really tiny loan? That kind of worked sometimes. How about some free shoes? Here, shoes shoes are good. Shoes are good. That won't hurt. (laughs) Wait, that intersects with the first way that people build economy. Oh, this is hard, Stephen. It's it's really difficult, Chris. (laughs) It's really, really difficult. And so, in case you didn't catch the references, people have tried every one of those things that we've done: large loans to whole nations to bootstrap economies. Not good. Loans to would-be businesses to bootstrap large businesses. Less good. Small loans to small businesses mixed but kind of bad microloans to individuals mixed but kind of bad toms giving people shoes because they thought surely there's no problem with that pretty much all bad turns out that textiles are usually the things that countries use to bootstrap their economies and so giving away free shoes 
kind of hurts that cause. Yeah. To to the credit of the Tom's people, the CEO of Tom's has made pretty clear in the last few years that when people have critiqued him about that, he's listening. He's willing to learn. So uh, number one thing we all have to say as we're addressing big globalization issues and how to deal with global poverty and all of these things is we have a lot to learn. And the most important thing any of us can do is keep learning and say, hey, I got that one wrong. I'll try to get it less wrong next time around. Yeah, which should be preceded by rule one, listen to people first. <laughs> I have all the answers. No. Rule two, learn from what they're saying rule three help them do stuff that they feel like they want to be doing and this is where we dissect dissect wow we're not dissecting anything <laughs> i did this is not where we... know there was going to be cutting up of cadavers on this <laughs> yeah. show Stephen. wow content <laughs> rating <laughs> content warning for the audience here yeah we're really trying to pump up the ratings over here <laughs> Getting dead people. This is where. <laughs> oh man. This is where we diverge from last week's episode because Internet.org just kind of helicopter dropped into India and said, "Hey man, Internet." Whereas the general way that we think is better that we're going to espouse on this particular episode and that we're going to talk through a little bit is going on the ground and figuring out what people there want to do and help them do it. Now, this isn't a panacea or a perfect answer because sometimes people on the ground want to do things that don't make a whole lot of sense. And sometimes they don't make sense to you because you're outside the culture. Sometimes they don't make sense in a way economies are built sort of sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense because of the political system that's involved. There's a whole lot of reasons that you can't just like show up and start doing the first idea that you hear, which is also an approach that has been taken, just in case you were wondering. We're, we're going to be non-paternalistic. We'll just do whatever they tell us. Also not a total success. Yeah. So the first thing that we can espouse in its entirety is show up to listen and show up to learn. And that's the ground zero of any situation in which you want to make changes. Right. Now, you might think to yourself, but I get mailers all the time that ask for money. What do I do about that? That's a great question. And the answer is you should probably do some research because there are some organizations that are themselves doing the frontline work of being on the ground and cooperating with local people and saying, what do you need and how can we empower you to do that? And there are some that aren't. And so you want to ask those questions and say, is this organization one of the former that is obeying those ground rules and rules number one, two, and three, as Stephen outlined them earlier? Or are they an organization that just says, we know how to solve your problems? If the latter, you probably shouldn't give them money. If the former, you might give them money, but you will have limited money, so you can factor that into your own economic situation and so on. Mm -hmm. And to to be really clear here, you can be a great charity via Charity Navigator or GuideStar or whatever mm -hmm. rating system you want and still not be a great charity in terms of getting things done because the way that those charity kind of evaluators – work is they look at not just do they do things, which is an important part, but also are they transparent with their money? Are they having a small amount of their money for fundraising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can do all the right things and still be ineffective, which is unfortunate and sad. <laughs> 
you should do all the right things. So we don't advocate giving money to people just because they're getting results, even though they're actually also horrible stewards of the money you're giving them. It's it's not one or the Which, other. Which that would be a really interesting situation <laughs> if that happened. It would. I, I don't really know if there is an example of that exactly. But, but if it's if out there, there, don't give them money. Don't do that. <laughs> But it should be a both and. and yes. Yeah, usually it's they're doing all those things but aren't being effective. And and you want to find people who are being effective and also doing those things. Yeah. And so you say, but like how do I how do I even do that? Like if they're a good charity and on Charity Navigator, well, you can you can read on the internet. There's an increasing number of articles on Medium and blogs and throughout the interwebs from people who have been helped or not helped by charities. And particularly because when you've been greatly helped or greatly hurt, you kind of want to tell some people, and the internet allows you to tell people things. As long as you have the whole internet. Cough, 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 cough. So – it does take more than the average – I will just search this on Google to really figure out if you're doing good with the money that you want to contribute. Yeah. And to be fair, this conversation is mostly resolving, revolving around the giving of money. There are other ways to be benevolent and to help out global poverty, and we are on board with a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. They're just not the subject of what we're talking about today. Right, and there are things you should consider that will – uh, mention here briefly before moving further that things like medical work. Uh, a friend of mine and his family just picked up to do medical work as missionaries in North Africa in a place that's not super safe because they care about those people and they want to see them mm-hmm. being cared for physically and spiritually. And so they're overdoing that and props to them. And that's really hard work. And it's very different kind of work than just giving money. But that's also those kinds of things that you might know from a personal relationship are also some of the places where you might start by looking if you're looking at the massive number of charities out there that you could be giving to and not knowing how to decide, well, maybe talk to your friends if you have friends who are on the ground someplace that you want to help. In our case, maybe talk to some of these friends who are in, say, Sudan working with hospitals there or North India working in the education system or things like that. Those people often have a much better sense of who's doing good and who isn't. And one of the other things you'll find if you start having those conversations is that who's doing good is not a cut and dried answer. Sometimes the same organization is doing great things in one part of the world and not so great in other parts of the world because, of course, organizations aren't monoliths. And as much as we've talked about that in the context of business in the past, it's also a applicable when you're talking about charities. So if you look at an organization that's just doing phenomenal work in Central Asia, don't be totally surprised if you find that they're not doing nearly as good of work in Western South America. It's just one of those things that even the best-led organizations are still made up of people of varying skills and people of varying views. And even with really healthy institutional cultures, if you get a really big organization, there is going to be variation within that organization Mm -hmm. as to how effective it is. Mm -hmm. And you're also going to run into places where the same strategy doesn't work in different places, or even that organization is trying to find good strategies in different places, and it hasn't landed on one yet in the places it's working. 
Right. And sometimes that means that the organization is in chaos and things are going horribly awry and this is a charity to be avoided. Sometimes it just means that this is a tough area for them and they haven't figured it out yet and they're trying and they're going to get there based on their track record of figuring it out in other areas and other expertises. Mm -hmm. And that's a gut call. And that's what it ultimately comes down to in some of these cases. As you look at it and you say, I feel good about this and I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And then you give the money. And if you find out later that, wow, that turned out not to be a good one, well, you stop giving the money if it's a recurring thing and you reevaluate. And if possible, if you have the relationships within the organization to do it, you push back on them a bit and help them figure out how to do it better. Mm -hmm. And that points to another area that we're not thoroughly covering with this topic is that donating time and abilities and resources is another way to be a part of charities that are working to do good in other parts of the world. But generally, you figured out an organization that you know and trust and want to be a part of. And so you have less anxiety over whether or not they're a good organization if you're committing to put yourself you know, on the ground here in America or wherever you are, or in a a broad place. So one of the things going back to a point Stephen made right near the beginning of our discussion today is that when you show up and you ask people, how can we help? One of the answers you might hear sometime is don't. And this is a tricky one, because, well, I should say, it's not actually that tricky, but it's hard for us. Because we have this (laughs) deep-seated desire to help. But sometimes the best thing we can do is get out of the way and let people fix their own problems. And if Mm -hmm. you show up and people say, you know what, money isn't going to solve this, even your time and efforts aren't going to solve this, the best thing you can do is just stay out of our way while we work on fixing this. And pray about it. Yeah, pray for us. Trust that God is big enough to actually do stuff for us. Do it. Have the humility to listen to them. Stay out of their way. Let them work at it and let them figure it out for themselves. And I think that's particularly difficult because we want to help because we recognize our affluence and we recognize Mm -hmm. how good a thing it is to use our affluence for good. And that's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially as Christians, Stephen and I look at this and we recognize the many, many biblical injunctions to not abusing your wealth, to not using your wealth to crush the poor, and even further, to use your wealth to help the poor. That's a big deal. It is a recurring, I would go so far as to say, dominant theme in biblical ethics. It is one of the most frequent things that people get chastised for in the Bible, Mm -hmm. is getting that wrong. And so you feel a burden and you want to help. You know, maybe it's injustice that you see that you want to see resolved. Maybe it is just crushing poverty that you want to see resolved. Mm -hmm. And so we have this good and right instinct to help, to use what we have to help. And that should be encouraged. It should be kindled in people when you see it. But But it should be kindled wisely. And here's where it gets tricky, because... Again, as we said a little bit last week, and as we've mentioned already a little bit this week, it can very quickly become a matter of well-off white people telling everyone else in the world how to solve their own problems, which 
if you take a step back and look at it, kind of looks like another quiet form of racism. And that might hurt a little bit. And it's not the kind of racism that says, oh, you people of thus and such a racial background are not human. That's a real kind of racism and it's worse. But nonetheless, there's a superiority complex that we have to watch out for. We have to remember that just because we have more money, just because we live in America, just because we have a given background, doesn't make us better and doesn't mean that we are better equipped to solve people's problems than they are. Now, the difficulty is outside of those situations where you find yourself and people say, hey, man, we've got this under control. I know it looks like it's going to take a while, but we think things are on a good path and we're ready for it to take a while. Other than those situations, you are faced with issues where the needs seem insurmountable sometimes, Mm -hmm. particularly in places where the government has totally collapsed and there's no semblance of institutional order, there seem to be no end to the things that can be done through giving money and through other means. But even in those situations, we've found that just throwing money at it doesn't necessarily mean that, A, the money will get to the right place, or B, that the money will be meaningful. Yeah, And that's really painful, too, because you see something that's totally messed up, and you say, we need to fix this. And sometimes money just can't. Sometimes the only thing that fixes it is time, as in the first case, or in the second case, really dramatic and important institutional shifts within a country that America just can't really help with. Right. And that's something that America hasn't been very good at as a country uh, thinking about because it doesn't seem very benevolent to say, okay, well, we just really can't help you this time. We wish we could, but it looks like we would just make things worse. Um, And we're kind of edging in on foreign policy, foreign American government policy, because they intersect. Benevolence and policy have been intertwined for a long time as a form of soft power, as a form of understanding America's role in the world, and as a recognition that America per capita and overall GDP has a lot of money. Yeah, and and it becomes very difficult when you look especially at apparently intractable situations like those in Syria or the civil wars that have broken out at different times, especially in North Africa in the last few years. How do, how do I help someone there? How do I say, okay, here are tens, hundreds of thousands of people who've been displaced, who need a home in Syria, even even apart from the refugee question of people who've left, just the people on the ground. Is there something I can do to help them? And that question has some answers. Uh, last year, people were, for example, just getting tents to people who needed them. And that that's a good thing. It's pretty unambiguously clear. Hey, people need shelter from the elements. So this is right. a this is a win. Right. But there are other longer term questions there that are inextricable from foreign policy. What do you do with Bashar Assad? What do you do with ISIS or ISIL or whatever we want to call that group? How do you resolve some of the outstanding decades long, at least tensions in the area in a way that works to people's good? Well, the answer is America may not be able to do that. Europe may not be able to do that. We may not be able to create solutions no matter how much we want to and no matter how much goodwill we have. Sometimes people have to fix situations for themselves. And that's that's a difficult pill to swallow, especially yeah. when as Americans, we have often bought in one shape or form or another 
the notion of our own exceptionalism and the idea that because we have all these things, we are therefore obliged to fix other people's situations. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing we have to do is turn that and say, we have to make ourselves available to help. But it's not necessarily on us to fix those situations. It is on us to be available to aid and help as people request and desire it of us. And that's a very different thing. Yeah. And as, as always, there's a difficult side to this too, because in American foreign policy, you always have somebody asking us to come in and help them. Yep. There's always going to be asks, like I said at the beginning of of the episode and figuring out what to do about which ones mm -hmm. is important and valuable and not inconsequential. There's a lot of issues surrounding what does it mean to have somebody who is really in crisis? Like what does a crisis look like that we have to get involved in? What's a human rights major violation? What's genocide? What's right. What are these things? So that we know if there are going to be points where we say unilaterally we step in when genocide happens, well, then you have to have pretty good definitions for what that is. Yeah. And that's something that policy-wise and as professionals in lobbying and professionals in nonprofits and in those areas that help set those policy decisions, having clearer ideas or clearer statements about what those situations are or aren't would help dramatically. And I understand why we prefer them to be squishy because then we can say, well, this feels like the one we should go in for, <laughs> even though it doesn't really fit the parameter. Mm -hmm. And I get that, but man, it makes makes things tough. Yeah. And We've seen that even in the last half decade, a number of friends of ours were involved in some of the lobbying that went on to deal with some of the child soldier situations in Sudan and around Darfur and everything that went with that. And I really admired those friends for the work they were doing. But it was a hard situation. What should the US government do in that specific situation? There aren't necessarily cut and dried answers to every one of those. It's a big world, yeah. and any one country can only do so much. And we have seen, unfortunately, the cost of unconsidered intervention or even sometimes well-considered intervention because situations don't always play out the way you think they will, and they have long-term costs that may be unexpected. And when you get those wrong, sometimes it's worse than not having gone in the first place. And that, on the one hand, can make you reticent to engage at all, but on the other hand, you still have a responsibility to engage sometimes. And so, mm -hmm. and, and that happens not only at a foreign policy level, it also happens at a personal level. When you get burned right. by an organization doing it wrong, or because you you were on the ground and people took the help you were trying to offer and spat on it or twisted it wasted or wasted it. it or just scorned you and wanted none of it. That can make it really hard to keep giving, to keep trying to help, to be willing to sacrifice. But it, at some point, you have to recognize that that's the cost of playing the game, so to speak. Yeah. And the game here isn't a game. A lot of times, it's very real cost in human lives, in human yeah. flourishing. And so it is really important to get right. But sometimes it's also important to give it a shot, even knowing that you might get it wrong. 
Yeah. And I think that's the takeaway here is that we asked at the beginning, like, what do we do? And the answer is it's hard. Yeah. Like it's it's tough to do it right. And if you find an organization that you trust, that you think is doing it well, that is an issue that you're you're interested in and care about, which is a whole other conversation that we can't have right now. What should I care about? <laughs> but yep. if you find that organization and they do well and you feel good about it, that's great. Go for it. Keep doing it. Um, and if it goes poorly – like everything else, pick yourself back up, go do more research, figure it out, and try again. It's it it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. And there's no way around that, unfortunately. But what we can do is keep at it anyway, and we should. Yep. The song at the beginning was Hero by Starlight Girls. We used it with permission. Please don't use it without permission. Thanks again to Andrew Fallows and Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can pledge monthly at patreon.com slash winning slowly or give a one-off at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. As always, 10% of our support goes to keeping up the Internet Archive so that links which rot from their normal spot get preserved. If you like the show, please rate and review us in iTunes or recommend us in your podcast app directory so others can find the show. You can, as always, find the show notes for this episode at winningslowly.org. This week's notes are at winningslowly.org slash 4.02. Last but not least, we love hearing from our listeners. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Winning Slowly, on our Facebook page, or by sending us an email at hello at winningslowly.org. As always, thanks for listening. So if you look at an organization that's just killing it in Central Asia, that's you may, a horrible way to let's not use let's that not one. use the phrase. <laughs> if you, <laughs> I feel good about this, and I'm not going to lose sleep right. over it, and I'm going to pull the trigger. Dang it! <laughs> this is where we diverge from. Oh my gosh, what was I even talking about? I have no idea. <laughs>